What's shaking, everybody? It's the obligatory talkback, the show where we step outside the narrative and break down the story from our perspective as winners, the biggest winners since Charlie Sheen back in the day. <laughs> I am a bigger winner than Charlie Sheen. I'm Ned Wilcock, your host and GM. In this talkback, we're discussing all of Imptab Avatar Blaze in the Dao Fei, which means today I'm joined by Thomas Ryan as Tonin Yoru, Christian Randall as Siwei Lang. And Evan Peterson as Hu <laughs> He almost carried it long enough. <laughs> uh, I thought the self-indulgence level was right up the par. <laughs> well, we have a big old, big old campaign to talk about. This is the longest one that we've done. We've been doing this for, what, nine months? I think we started in February? Uh, it was January. January. First first week of the year was the session zero. Good wow. heavens. Whoa. We've got uh, some questions from our Discord that we're going to start out with. Uh, first one comes from Tim Rust. First few come from Tim Rust. Yeah, Tim. And the first one is, uh, do we get to know what the spoiler bleep was from the last talk back? We were, it was just Seaway putting the blinders into his goggles. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I would have just cut it out completely, but it would have messed up the flow. And it, it was fun leaving it in there ultimately with the bleeps. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, the next few uh, are all part of the same broader question from Tim. Uh, who says, assuming the near canon of Blades in the Dark is the same near canon of 10,000 Things. So this is about uh, Wei Young and his status as the Earth King. So first is the Earth King in 10,000 Things, i.e. Earth King Jalun, a direct descendant of our beloved new fearless leader. Uh, that is the intent, at least. Uh, I don't know uh, how Thomas feels about that. I, but. I have a hard time because I, I, when I made Wei Young, I did not intend for him to have any sort of romantic interactions and i succeeded in terms of this campaign at least but you know you got to continue the line so i imagine at some point he marries someone and has a few kids and has to be a descendant in some way but is it like a, a political marriage probably i'm too busy doing my other stuff those <laughs> Dao Fei aren't gonna hunt themselves well one of the follow-up questions was did we meet the person that way young married in the campaign and a sub question of that is it kitschy uh i do not subscribe to way itchy um, <laughs> way itchy what a terrible it's a bad name that's a bad name <laughs> that's that's the ship name um, it's bad <laughs> way young and kitschy, way itchy. Anyway, uh, I don't really think we interacted with many women. Not not to be weird, but uh, kitschy couldn't also provide descendants. So. Oh yeah, wasn't that a plot point? Yeah, because I'm trying to remember, I don't think we actually talked about it in any of the talkbacks, but wasn't like part of the reason why kitschy and Kenai clung on to way young so closely because they didn't actually have any children of their own? Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm. yes, it's true. <laughs> So, as much fun as the ship is, not possible. Is it fun? <laughs> I'm having fun. It's fun that I get to say way itchy, but... It's not. <laughs> well, you know, we've got a golden opportunity in the form of Riven the Chemist's sister, who you left at the altar. Oh my <laughs> That's gosh. true. Let's get back together. I left her at the altar for a reason. <laughs> Look, Wei-Yang is a horrible person, even after he becomes a slightly better person. So I feel like if he gets married, it's to torment someone or to further his own agenda. Um, so I think he married Riven's mom. 
Oh my gosh. Moving on. <laughs> oh my gosh. Speaking of Wei Young being a terrible person, uh, Earth King Jaloon <laughs> was also a terrible person. So you've at least got that going for you. Has there been a good Earth King? Let's. Well, I mean, there's like the one in Avatar who's kind of all right, but he's just kind of ineffective. Yeah. So we're we're gonna talk a little bit about the canonicity, what we know about the various Earth Kings, because the f- other follow-up question from Tim is, how many generations are there between Wei Young and King Jaloon, who we met in 10,000 Things. So I've done a bit, probably a bigger deep dive than I needed to about this. <laughs> and the thing is, any Earth King who lived before King Kue, i.e. the king that we met in the original Avatar The Last Airbender, we know so incredibly little about those people based on like the actual facts that have been released. Like, if you go on the Avatar wiki, there's a lot of people who have made a lot of assumptions about various different Earth Kings and what they may or may not have done. <laughs> but when you go back to the source material, we know pretty darn little. So let's start with Wei Young's father, the 46th Earth King, who we only really know anything about because there was a Flash game on Nickelodeon's website back in the day in which <laughs> Kiyoshi talked about, you know, the foundation of the Dai Li and her interactions with the 46th Earth King. It wasn't given a name. Um, there are some people who assume he might be the same person as an Earth King named Yi Ming, who we only know about because of a very brief thing that existed on Nickelodeon's website way back in the day that isn't on Nickelodeon's website anymore, <laughs> saying that there was an Earth King named Yi Ming who instituted the building of a monorail because he got too tired trying to travel all the way across the city. Huh. That's all we know about those two individuals. Some people think they might be the same person. If they are the same person, then the monorail has screwed our entire attempt at being <laughs> as canonical as possible. Yeah, so that, that's all we really know about the 46th Earth King. That would make Wei Young the 47th Earth King. Then we look at the other end of the spectrum. We've got King Kue, who's the 52nd Earth King. His father died young, leaving Kuei to be the Earth King when he was four years old. He's the 51st Earth King, meaning that Jaloon has to be the 48th, 49th, or 50th Earth King. Um, Jaloon, there's a lot that's not specified about him. We basically know that he was a contemporary with Sozin. He ruled during the Roku era. And since Kiyoshi lived for so long, we have to assume that there were a lot of very long-lived Earth Kings during that span in the middle there. We know that Wei Young lived very long, uh, longer <laughs> than probably he should be able to. Um, we assumed that Jaloon was very old at the beginning of the Hundred Year War in 10,000 Things, and he's probably going to die pretty shortly thereafter, which I figure leaves room for probably one more Earth King before Kuei's father, which would make Jaloon theoretically the 49th Earth King, making him theoretically Wei Young's grandson. So that's what I've been able to come to based on the very limited information we have about the Earth Kings. What a history lesson. That was so much work. Yeah, it's, it's a mess. Well, let's just say, if you ask us a question, we will get you an answer. We, like we did anything. I'm not putting that much research into my grad school papers. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I say we, and by that I mean Ned. <laughs> I re-listened through my singing bowl rant recently, and that was a mess. There were definitely some facts I didn't get right in that little rant there. But yeah, there's there's our questions from good old Tim. Thanks for reaching out about that. Next, we've got a couple questions from Tetraslash. First one, how does the first meeting with the Avatar go after Wei Young is officially crowned? <sighs> I mean, we know we know that the Avatar has not assassinated any Earth Kings. I feel like that would have come up in the Kyoshi anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I at least didn't get murdered outright. <laughs> However, I imagine that 
I mean, Kyoshi isn't too hot at the political game, so uh, I feel like she just doesn't trust anyone in in, a, in like a leadership position, and so she doesn't like me, but she also doesn't hate me. And, uh, you know, I got to go live a long, happy life in my coma. <laughs> in your coma. You're doing some astral projection into the spirit world. Yeah. It, it's your character, so it's your place to say, but I do feel like Wei Young would have been at least a little sassy about Oh, nice to have you back while you were gone. I had to personally <laughs> deal with this Father Glowworm situation. Yeah, probably. Way probably. I would have been like, oh, yeah, remember Father Glowworm? That problem you didn't fix? Well, guess, guess who did? Um, maybe you should call me the Avatar. Uh, yeah, there's... I would imagine that there's definitely some high tensions. Like, one of the very few things we do know about the 46th Earth King is... Kiyoshi strong-armed him into like writing a new constitution and kind of restructuring the democracy. Was it a democracy? Restructuring the governance, broadly speaking, of the Earth Kingdom. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't very happy about that. And then King Jaloon, as soon as he got a chance, reversed all of those policies. <laughs> so I would assume that between the time Kiyoshi forces them to restructure things and her death, there's just a lot of tension between the Avatar and the Earth King about like, you know, we'd really like to do things our way over here. And Kiyoshi being like, well, you can, but I'll kill you if you do. So yeah, probably not a great relationship there. But then our next question from Tetra Slash in the vein of Seaway Strip North, what do the other lads do on their first day off? Including Day. What does Day do on Day's Day Off? <laughs> day's Day Off. That would be a great little, like, one-shot. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I mean, I think Weyoung doesn't take Days Off. He's, he's just immediately diving in, so nothing. He doesn't take a day off. He's out to kill. He's on that grind mentality. He's on that grind, baby. <laughs> Grinding up Daofei leaders. Hey. hey. <laughs> um, should we, should, well, I think this might be a good time to reveal Day's vice, actually. Yes. Ooh, yeah. It never came up. It never came up, so now might be the time. Uh, so Day's vice is that he would go on... Okay, so his wife is dead. And she would possess the bodies of other people, and he would go on dates with her. What? <laughs> <Isn't> that awesome? <laughs> That's Day's vice. That's so good. Yeah, because on the character sheet for the Whisper, one of the allies you can have is a possessor ghost, mm -hmm. and take that and run with it. Holy cow. Yeah, so uh, that was Day's vice. And, you know, since ghosts are coming back just because of Father Glowworm, I realize he probably doesn't get to see his wife anymore. <laughs> yeah, probably. Which uh, is kind of a bummer. So I imagine that Day's Day's first day off is just uh, a day of remembrance, right? Go and visit the wife's grave. Very solid answer. There you go. All right. Uh, Tonin, do you have... Is this have supposed to be lighthearted? Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, probably. Tonin, do you have a non-depressing answer for what you do on your first day off? Um, first day off, I walk by all the metallurgists and I sigh about my missing bowl. No, um... <laughs> Wistfully remember the good times. No, I think that he takes a good while, like actually going like the first day is probably going to the earth sage enclaves and kicking the dust seeing what happens like seeing what's what the state of things actually is and kind of laying the groundwork for what his next 20 plus years is going to be just meeting the other earth sages that are still around and 
seeing what he has to work with. And so Tonin also doesn't take days off. No, it's not really a day off. I mean, I guess his first quote unquote day off might just be to Lake Lao guy and enjoy a nice beach episode. <laughs> we never did get our beach episode. Maybe one of these days. Well, our final question from the audience comes from Michael Sear, who asks, could we get a few favorite moments in the campaign from each cast member? Number one favorite moment is when we just did not realize the door was unlocked. Our <laughs> very, very first beginning. very first thing we did, we tried to open a door and that somehow stops us. That was hands down the best. I'd been thinking about this one and I was going to say like I feel like I don't want to sound weird doing the first episode, but my favorite moment was also well, it wasn't entirely just the door being unlocked. But it was, I had pictured, you know, my Seaway character, this gentle giant who's like really tough and mean during jobs, but really soft and genial off jobs. And I feel like I couldn't have pictured his introduction going any better than like being soft and genial, failing to knock down an unlocked door, and then immediately just becoming Batman and sinking into the shadows and taking out, what was it, two or three guys without anyone knowing I was even there. Mm-hmm. I was really happy with that introduction to Seaway, and I couldn't have I couldn't have written a better way to introduce him to the audience. That's improv, baby. That's improv, baby. I actually would say one of my favorite parts is how absolutely horrible horrible the job went with the soup kitchen (laughs) like it went so well at first we're like guys this game is awesome we got this and then it went so bad and just the absolute panic of trying to be like okay how do we fix this because it's just getting worse (laughs) that was really fun because honestly i feel like this system really shines when things are going horribly (laughs) (laughs) yeah which is why it's designed that five out of six rolls will cause something to go wrong (laughs) yeah it's fun yeah i i got to pull a few different switcheroos during the campaign but i think my favorite switcheroo was also during the cabbage garden when you realized oh wait the thing that we were going to accuse delia of doing is what she's actually doing the whole time (laughs) that was so annoying. It's so funny. Oh, I I also really liked the gag in the last couple episodes with the uh, I pull out my second pistol. Oh, the second pistol. <laughs> it made me laugh. A couple days later, um, I sat down and Kinsey was watching this anime on Netflix, and I didn't know anything about it. And these two guys were like challenging each other to a duel, and they was like weapon of choice. And the first guy pulled out a sword, and my brain was like, oh okay, so it's like kind of medieval fantasy i was like it'd be really funny if the other guy just like had a gun and the other guy just pulls out a pistol <laughs> and he was like why'd you bring a sword to this fight <laughs> they then proceeded to have a really awesome fight where the guy's like cutting his bullets out of the air because it's anime but i about rolled off the couch laughing just thinking of i pull out my second pistol <laughs> yeah there are a lot of really cool story beats in this campaign but i think my favorite moments are the gags Like, I think, honestly, my favorite moment in the campaign is the first time Tonin is pretending to be the Vice Dean of Invertebrates, and he's just like, yeah, I'm going to back him up by saying, uh, and then see with me, like, I slap him on the back to clear his throat. That was, that honestly might be my favorite moment in the campaign is the Vice Dean of Invertebrates. I will say the Vice Dean of Invertebrates was a stroke of something, because it was very fun. (laughs) The giant of comedy. It might have just been a stroke. (laughs) 
I, I will. I'm pretty partial to any time Eelhound was on stage. <laughs> I feel like I sometimes wonder if Eelhound was something only we found funny. Audience, if you liked Eelhound, please let me know because he never came up in the uh, patron Discord. He's our he's our Scrappy Doo. No, our, don't 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 make him Scrappy Doo. He also might be something that only you, as the Masked Spirits, knew existed because you kept forgetting to like bring him on jobs and yeah. kept forgetting to use him during downtime and the only time somebody who wasn't a member of the mask spirits interacted with him it was the spirit of the deceased earth king so it's entirely possible that eelhound was just another spirit who was messing with you guys we didn't even realize that would explain so much turns out eelhound is our imaginary friend does uh does Jin account as a mass spirit because i think she was uncomfortable with him a few times that, that makes sense <laughs> maybe she was just uncomfortable with like us all staring at a blank corner and talking and she's like what are you guys talking about? <laughs> um, i do actually have to correct myself from the previous talk back when i was talking about what the eelhound is uh, I assumed that, you know, if you're creating a fantastical world, you only need one giant lizard rideable creature that can move on land and water. Turns out there's two. Uh, <laughs> the eelhound is the one that Master Piandao uses, but the ones that Azula and her girls ride are called mongoose lizards. Oh, oh. the more you know. <laughs> that is weird that there's two. <laughs> yeah, right? Right? <laughs> So now uh, I want to talk about a couple things that uh, I kind of had in mind from the very beginning of the campaign now that we've gotten through the entire thing. And the first is what inspired me to do this entire campaign in the first place. And it actually goes back to our finale talk back for 10,000 Things, where we were talking about Lunkau City Block and how we didn't actually spend a lot of time down there and about how, you know, it would have been really cool if we could have spent some time in the deep reaches figuring out why this place is so haunted. And I was like, wait a second, we'll do an entire campaign about why Lung Kao is so haunted. And then the ideas started coming together of like, okay, Kyoshi era, Blaze in the Dark, Father Glowworm, like burrowing holes between the worlds and whatnot. So I figured that even though Father Glowworm has been defeated at this point, there's still enough of his influence left behind deep down beneath the city that it is still haunted down there and people don't like going down there. I like that. Hot dog. So like having that in mind from the beginning of the campaign, there were a couple other things, little Easter eggs. Uh, so like in the cover art for Blades in the Dao Fei, there's a little Easter egg on Seaway's wolf mask. There's the eye in the center of the forehead. We'll call it Father Glowworm. In the theme song for Blades in the Dao Fei, during the second half, you know, it starts out with like strings and French horns and stuff, and then it switches over to this like distorted guitar synth, and there's like this chugging bass line that was to like kind of signal the switch over to realizing, oh wait, there's lots of weird spirit stuff going on. That was kind of like Father Glowworm's theme at that point. And kind of the other little Easter egg was in the very beginning one, we were figuring out what we wanted to call the ectoplasm stuff, how we came up with spirit moss. The reason why I wanted it to be something ectoplasm-esque was to represent the mucus that Father Glowworm has himself encased in. Yeah. Hmm. Look at all that thinking you did. It sounds like you did a lot of planning for this improv, Ned. <laughs> yep. And as soon as I came up with all that, I stopped planning. <laughs> well, kind of moving into these final couple episodes, I want to, like we've mentioned a couple times, I can't remember if it's in the episodes or if it was just in the talkbacks, how nice it feels to have that tactile sensation of being able to roll more dice the further you get along with your progression. This real sense of like moving to the point where you're more capable, where you're able to do things you weren't able to before. 
And I think you guys did like just absolutely all the right prep in your level up progression to be able to make this final job run as smoothly as it did. Like even then, it was still a very rough job that took quite a toll <laughs> on you folks, but it ran much smoother than it could have if you tried to do that at the beginning because like a few examples, Tonin taking the command option to be able to not only bring Kenai from the other side, but also to be able to command Ko to back off while you're bringing Day back from the spirit world. Mm. We've got Day learning the ritual to be able to separate the bound spirits. We've got Wei Young getting those sight potions so you guys can negate the resistance rolls when you fight Father Glowworm. Seaway taking the ghost fighter move so that you can also get that extra bonus of not having to like take drawbacks to your attacks. Like you guys just did all the right things to make yourselves be very effective fighting against Father Glowworm specifically at the end of this campaign. We are consummate professionals. Yeah, I'm gonna say we totally planned all of it. We knew what we were doing and it was intentional. <laughs> yeah, it was it was cool to see. Like, looking back at that first job, like we were talking about, where you forget to check if the door is unlocked, all the way up to we're killing one of the oldest spirits that ever existed and making sure the Saipi doesn't come back. It's just a great progression. I, I'm realizing something, by the way, that we did wrong in the finale, now that that's all been said. Oh, no. Um, killing a spirit takes, like, a significant toll on a person. Um, who got the killing blow? I think it was... It was Kenai, technically speaking. Because, like, when... It, this is major spoilers for the uh, Kiyoshi novels, by the way. If you're here, you've you got to get past that at this point. <laughs> anyway, when Karuk was out killing spirits in the spirit world, every time he killed one, it, like, made him feel hollow and empty for a while, and that's why he went so hard into partying, is because it made him feel something. So killing a spirit probably should have made whoever got the killing blow um, messed up. Well, Kenai was the one who made that final spike out of ice, but it was Tonin who was commanding Kenai. So, I mean, we already know that Tonin's kind of messed up. He seems Tonin's like... Tonin's messed up. <laughs> I mean, based on what he does on his first day off, he seems a little bit hollow after the events of this campaign. <laughs> yeah, I'm just walking around the halls of the Earth Palace, just kind of big size and really happy with your life. <laughs> well, one thing that I kind of want to dig into is we did see a lot of family resolution happen during the course of this campaign, but there's a lot that I think still is going to need to happen in the future for our lads mm. and a lot that we haven't even really touched on. But we've got like the general theme of this campaign is full of terrible dads and great moms. <laughs> I guess, Tonin, we talked about you trying to get your mom back to the palace there. Um, but you kind of like at this point, you're running the Earth Sages, you're running essentially then the Yoru sect as well. Well, I mean, your dad's still going to be out there trying to do whatever he can. But what do you think is like the future of the Yoru sect's face stealing powers and their relationship with Ko? I like to imagine that they are still around, even in like Aang's time. Mm. Like a very, very small, not even White Lotus, Black Lotus size, just a very small group of people doing sketchy stuff. I don't think Tonin goes out of his way to destroy it. I think he spends his time rather bolstering the true Earth Sages and like creating a more stable, basically turning his back on it and not wanting to go after it because he knows he would have to do even harder things if he did that. And you know what? He's done hard things and that's enough hard things. Yeah. 
I figure that also based on what happened when a single member of the sect decided to kind of go public, everybody else is like, maybe we should be like even more in the shadows, yeah. making sure people don't see us because we almost got entirely destroyed that one time Tonin kind of did his thing. Yeah, so I imagine that like they might, in my head canon is that the lady with the sheer shoe in the original Avatar. June? She might be like a descendant of Tonin's family and just doesn't use her face stealing as much, but really focuses on... But she on... still has all her face pieces. Or is that somebody else's face? No, it's her face. She gets <laughs> paralyzed at one point. And I assume that when you're paralyzed, you don't have control over your face shaping stuff. She couldn't change, but it would just stay the same. Oh, that's lame. Come on, you have to focus to keep your face changed. You said so. I mean, maybe she's good at it. I don't know. It's my head cannon. Leave me be. Let him have his thing. Well, other family stuff. Uh, let's talk about Seaway. I don't think... Did you have anything written in your backstory about Seaway's father? Or was he just kind of like an afterthought? He was... I didn't like officially write anything at first. But I remember thinking early on, like, what happened to his dad? <laughs> and I basically was like, I don't know. It, it might sound like a cop out, but... It's common enough. He just kind of left, you know, got Seaway's mom pregnant and was like, I'm out mm -hmm. and bailed. Classic dad. <laughs> uh, I think one other family that I'd like to hear about is the Who family, because we had Wei Young even like denied that devil's bargain because he didn't want Mama Who and the two brothers to go missing. So there's got to be some sort of affection there, at least. What do you think happens with the Who family? There was no affection. I just didn't want to have to do a save the family arc. <laughs> so uh, it was pragmatic. I opted out. It was fully pragmatic. Thomas didn't want to deal with that. But uh, no, no, I... It, have a front row seat to some improv, everybody. I'm going to make everything up that I'm about to say. All right. So, Wei Young has four people in his family aside from himself. He has mom, dad, and two brothers. Growing up, dad was running the show, obviously. He was running Who Property Management, and he was kind of a nightmare to live with. Because, um, you know, he was the patriarch. He was running the business. He was just an all-around bad dude. And that's where Wei Young picks up a lot of his kind of scummier character traits. Always a big fan of his mom. Obviously, he tried to move her into the palace. Um, however, I imagine that relationship may be a little bit strange, strained since it was revealed that she had an affair with the Earth King at some point. And so that's kind of a lot to handle for a guy. Um, but his brothers are cool. Always down with the brothers. I guess half brothers. Um, and <laughs> I guess half brothers. Yeah, I mean, they're half brothers. Let's be real. And uh, yeah, he, he, he wouldn't want his, his siblings, people he grew up with his whole life, to uh, get injured. So yeah, there was definitely some affection on that front. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I think it is. Not a big fan of Papa Who. Strained relationship, but repairable with Mama Who and uh, half-brothers are cool. I almost imagine, like, every time Eelhound comes into the main hall, like, uh, Wei Young, your father's here to speak to you. It's like, father? What father are you talking about? My father is the Earth King. <laughs> My father died <laughs> under mysterious circumstances. <laughs> well, there are a couple other individuals who I would like to follow up with real quick to see what happened with them. 
Uh, what did you do with Brother Hotaru after you specifically made sure to remove him safely from the battle there? I mean, he, that kid's a victim, right? Uh, yeah, I would have liked to have brought him into the Earth Sages. Mm. I was thinking uh, Wei Young would probably ship him off to witness protection because people would recognize him. But if you wanted to take him into the Earth Sages, then that might be the best way to handle it. Yeah, basically teach him like other things about the spirits and basically, yeah, because he's definitely a victim. And I, I don't know how much he was in control or how much he like it, it would play out how it would play out but i would definitely want to like work with the kid and be like hey let's get you to a better place yeah because i don't think we know whether the person who eventually becomes the avatar is able to have any sort of say beforehand over whether they are the avatar or not i mean it's a random selection process so who knows but yeah you know if you're just a kid who's born with an evil spirit inside you it's going to mess you up. So you're going to have to go through a lot of therapy with a therapist who's actually a therapist instead of a <laughs> sleeper agent. Not the combat therapist. I like that we established that we got that other therapist back. The original <laughs> one that everybody liked. That was, that was a good move. Yeah. <laughs> well, the other person I want to follow up on is Riven the Chemist. What do you do with that guy? We kill him. He's still in the cages, baby. We don't kill him? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to spend a long life in that cage next to the sheer shoes. I've realized uh, Hu Wei Young having all the power in a city where Riven exists. It doesn't matter whether he was already in the cage or not. He wasn't lasting long if he didn't get out of bossing. <laughs> no, look, hey, am I a reformed person or am I not? I don't know. Are you? <laughs> Some of your answers in this talkback are still kind of anti-character growth. Uh, I just really want to be a bad guy. Uh, look, he did go through character growth, and therefore he would not torture Riven the chemist. But since Riven did make an attempt on my life, I think he would probably be banished. Ooh. Which I think is reasonable, right? I'm not going to kill him, but I'm not going to let him hang out. That makes sense. Banish him to the swamp or something. He can take over for Ari. I think that's what his name was. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Waylight's boy toy. Yeah. Yeah, we used to do a prisoner exchange. <laughs> we'll take Ari. You take Riven, guys. <laughs> Well, let's see, I have just a couple other quick little comments I want to go over. Uh, so one thing that I mentioned during the episode was the inclusion of the secret tunnel song. This actually was a little suggestion that came from one of our patrons, Cool Doom 2010 uh, before he actually became a patron, sent us an email like, hey, it was awesome when you had the Leaves from the Vine thing happen in 10,000 Things. If you could find a way to like incorporate the secret tunnel song, that would be like a cool callback. <laughs> and so I kind of had it in mind of like, if the right moment comes up, that would be cool. And the right moment came up. That was really fun. Look at that. <laughs> and one other little thing, I can't remember who it was who made a comment about the voice that I used as the Earth King when he was come back as a spirit. To do that voice, I literally just pinched my trachea and whispered really loudly. Whis whispered loudly. Yes, like this. It's not entirely very comfortable, but it's worth it for the effect. Yeah, obviously, man. Come on. You don't sound like you're having a good time. He wasn't supposed to sound like he was having a good time. Ned's the same man who once made an improv character who spoke entirely through inhale. Oh yeah, that's my robot voice. He got around it by saying it was a steam-powered robot so that every once in a while he could exhale. <laughs> yeah, so I, I guess the example is I am speaking like this, I am a robot, but then eventually my lungs get too full, so I have to exhale so I can get all of the air out of my lungs. Good heavens. 
Well, any other comments from any of you lads before we wrap up this talk back? Um, should we do a quick where everyone went after the campaign for every character that we ran into? Like, what happened to Gecko Sr. and Gecko Jr.? Uh, Gecko Jr. had a meeting with Gecko Sr. one-on-one under the guise of having reparations and then uh, smothered him with a pillow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, what happened to the Jinx? Uh, well, one of them remained dead. Uh, one of them is underneath Lake Laogai, so that is up to Wei Young what he wants to do with that Jing. Dead. Yeah, okay. Dead. And the other one, after that execution happens, is like, well, this has been fun. I'm going to run away to Ember Island and never talk to anybody ever again. Nice. Become an actor. Uh, what happened to Eelhound post-campaign? <laughs> that I do want to know. Eelhound was a spirit the whole time. Surprise. <laughs> he wasn't able to stay. Plot twist. He wasn't able to hang around anymore after uh, Father Glowworm was defeated, so he had to go back to the spirit He world. just faded into the background. You know, that's probably the only canon way to explain a character actively hacking their own <laughs> lungs up and swallowing them again. So upsetting. I hated it. It's a horror spirit. What happened to Yang? Uh, he also retired. This, this is going to be the last one. Yang <laughs> oh, also retired. <laughs> really good one after this. Okay, we'll do one more after this. Yang also <laughs> retired. He decided to head out to some of the fields and become a poppy grower. Oh, good nice. That's an awesome job. Uh, what happened to Cheech and Chong? <laughs> <laughs> Cheech and Chong, they, they came back when the therapist came back and they were like, hey, can we have our job back? I did not hire them. Okay, after no, that they, then... They, they, they can come back. They can come back. I'm just being a buddy. Oh, cool. All right. Cheech and Chong lived long and happy lives as court jesters for the Earth King, I suppose. <laughs> Sounds appropriate enough. Oh, wait, I do have one more. <sighs> this one is actually good. This one's actually good, okay? I feel like okay. this one deserves a finale, all right? Kitchy. Oh. Uh, we know she died within like a year, but what did she do for that year? <laughs> I'll leave that one up to Ev. For that year? I mean, her and Hu Wei Young played Pai Show once a week. Uh, we did. Oh, I'm. I'm. I'm not. Did we say she went to live at the palace in the finale? I think so. Yeah, she did go to live at the palace. So she just, you know, she lived comfortably, enjoyed a lavish life. She was already helping out, <laughs> weirdly enough, working for the mass spirits for the end there <laughs> a little bit, filling her time with that. Um, no, she she managed to keep herself busy, and uh, she spent a lot of her free time in meditation and study, kind of trying to come to peace with the idea that she was like, well, life without my husband is miserable, but the spirit world is a horrifying hellscape <laughs> that I don't really want to spend eternity in. And she sort of had to come to peace with that. And study more about the spirit world and try and learn about the places that it's not a horrifying hellscape. <laughs> and she also, you know, realized that even the bad part, she was with her husband. And even as she left, she realized that she would rather be there with him uh, than in the real world without him. So she went peacefully into the spirit world to be reunited with Kenai. Very nice. Very nice. Well, I think that's going to do it then for this here wrap up. Uh, dear patrons, you will get the exclusive finale of the Butler Quiz game show. <laughs> uh, we're going to go record that separately right after this. 
Uh, but everybody else, thanks so much for listening. Thanks for joining us on this wonderful story. You've had a grand time doing it. And uh, next week, keep your ears out for an update episode. I'm going to be talking about the future of the show, what's going to be happening on the main feed, and what's going to be happening on the patron feed. We've been doing a lot of work uh, behind the scenes. I've been doing that duck calm on top, but legs furiously swimming underneath sort of thing, <laughs> uh, getting this all in place. And we're very excited, very excited for the future of the show. But until next time, I'm Ned Wilcock, and I have tiger blood and Adonis DNA, and I've been joined by... <laughs> Dude, what is what is up with you and Charlie Sheen right now? <laughs> I, I don't know. It just it just came to me in a fit of desire to relive the late 2000s, I suppose. <laughs> I'm Thomas Ryan, and I don't want to relive the late 2000s. Uh, I'm Christian Randall. I wish I had bought property in 2008. <laughs> I was a freshman in high school. I couldn't do that. I'm Evan Peterson, and I wish I'd bought Bitcoin. <laughs> on that note, uh, much love and stuff, everybody. We'll catch you next time on the Obligatory Talkback. Christian just said Black Lotus instead of Red Lotus oh, because... is it the Red Lotus? Yeah, you've been playing too much Magic the Gathering. Black Lotus is on the brain. Look, Black Lotus, man, if I had that card, I'd retire right now. There's the White Lotus and the Red Lotus, and that's it. Well, maybe maybe uh, Tonin's family starts the Black Lotus. <laughs> oh, I've been watching the HBO show The White Lotus, so that's all I think of now. <laughs>